Hi there, I'm Hazel Shaw, and I'm here to guide you through the toughest transitions in life, business, and even love. I've spent 30 years coaching CEOs and founders to navigate the messy stuff of life, from selling a business to the loss of something or someone important, to repairing relationships and restoring confidence. Welcome to Endings. There's lots of people that I have been used to talking to on a daily, weekly basis that I won't, I'll still see, but I won't have that same level of contact and I find myself getting quite emotional. Karen Campbell-Williams is retiring and her story is a great example of recognising when it's time to move on, even when things are going really well. After you've heard Karen's story, I'll explain a practical way to decide if it's time to go and the importance of identity in navigating this type of ending. But more about that later. First, let's go back to the beginning. Karen has spent her working life at the accounting firm Grant Thornton as the first female tax partner and reaching the top of her career ladder. For the last almost 30 years, 29 and a half years, I have been working tax, so I help mainly corporates and some individuals. That's been my sort of main focus. What I've been doing for the last four and a bit years is running our tax business nationally. So I've had lots of different hats and roles and different things I've done over the years. Um, But I still kept a client base even during the last four years, a much reduced client base running our tax business. Her family life is pretty busy too. Outside of work, my husband and I have got five children. We've got three grandchildren. I'm the chief organiser in our family in terms of all the social events, getting everyone together, making sure that we all see each other. Our house on a Sunday is full. Regularly we have 16, 17, 18 for Sunday dinner. Karen recognised the importance of good work-life balance, which was instilled in her by some hard-to-ignore experience. And the two partners who recruited me originally into Grant Thornton, both of those after their retirement died much younger and maybe didn't have the retirement they they might have wanted. That was a long time ago, but then I saw other colleagues, friends, things happen, which all sounds a bit kind of depressing in some ways, but it made me stop and think that actually enoughness is probably the expression I would use, that there's enoughness and actually having or have more choices in how you spend your time seems to me to be very attractive, really. She's also got the kind of perspective that you can only gain by helping people who've fled a war zone. I've just realised I didn't mention our Ukrainian family because that was one of my sort of points as well. They've been living with us for since April last year. Yeah. But that really did help me refocus what was important in life as well, actually. But there was one particular moment that prompted Karen's decision to retire. I've been enormously fortunate to be in the opportunities that I've had while I've been at Grant Thornton have been huge and I'd just been to Harvard Business School on an executive training course um, which was fantastic and I come back from that um, and I had all these things booked in and I remember one Sunday sitting and I knew I had board papers and things to read for the Tuesday and all all the family arrived at different times and they all came at different times. And obviously you're really glad to see them. But I sort of suddenly caught myself thinking, almost feeling a tiny bit resentful that they all didn't come at the same time. And, and that just made me stop in my tracks a little bit and think, actually, where are your priorities in life? And it was almost like, a, it sounds like a tiny insignificant thing, but it almost felt like that was a big sort of um, turning point in my mind, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Well, it does, I suppose, because, you know, with, especially with five kids and three grandkids, if you find yourself thinking, why can't you be more convenient <laughs> to me? <laughs> like, to fit into my timing, you're like, maybe it's the timing that's wrong. <laughs> but if, if that's the, like, saying how you prioritise the people you love versus also the work you love, and it's, it is attention. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? As you as you get older, you I suppose reflect on maybe how you were when you were younger as well with um, your parents because you now put yourself in the shoes that they were in, etc. So it's it's an interesting thing, but it, it can be quite emotional, I think, sometimes because it's just making sure that you you look back and you spend the time. You know, like you only get one life, don't you? So it's spending the time in the best way possible I guess that that all sort of came together but isn't it interesting how easy it is to lose sight of the fact we have one life and you know what ultimately is going to matter and that kind of natural flow of time from when we're young and and kids naturally take and parents give and that's kind of the order of things but as the parents age then it's their turn to take and the children turn to give and again and the cycle of life carries on but it's that sense of when you recognize oh we're at that turning point where I might need to give more support more in a different way um and yeah one of time to be there especially with all those grandkids <laughs> fantastic okay so you know it's a huge step I love your precision by the way because you know 29 and a bit I think most people would say kind of 30 years yeah. So with that kind of length of service, with such a huge decision, what was it that helped you to feel, yes, this is the right decision? I've always been a person who, you know, I think once you make a decision, you make it the right decision. Sorry, that sounds a bit strange, but I think you can frame in your own mind how decisions actually pan out in life sometimes there are things that are outside your control so I think I'm always just a big believer in thinking about the things you can control and dealing with the things in your own way that you can't control because that, that will happen in life and throw things at you um but I guess once you make a decision I think I've always been quite you know once I've made that decision it's got to yeah. be the right decision That's make it. It the right. making it happen yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's the key, isn't it, then, is making sure enough people. So to make it happen, so who were the first people you told within your business and how did they react? Uh, well, the first person I told was my boss, who's our CEO mm. um, and is my people manager. So I think there was a bit of surprise. Um, I, I then next spoke to our CEO, Malcolm, who um, I've always sort of, he's been probably one of my go-to people as well really within the firm in terms of people to speak to and I think once they understood my thinking they were surprised but I think once they understood my thinking and why I wanted to do what I was doing then they were really supportive actually and really they were really helpful in moving that forward. It's lovely isn't it when you think you've made the right decision and other people are yes initially shocked but very quickly come around to it and then weigh in with you which is which is lovely and if we're thinking about that decision because I think if people are listening to this podcast and thinking is it time for me to stop there's a couple of really interesting concepts that you raise and one of them was enoughness and we know it's totally made up word but it, it's really useful to capture some of this so can you tell me a bit more about how you define enoughness yeah. what is enough I've been 
well, I would say fortunate, but I've also worked really hard to get to where I am and I'm in a position financially now where I'm secure. Um, that's not to say if I go crazy that um, the money won't run out, but I'm in a position, I think, where I was fortunate to be able to make that choice. I know a lot of people aren't. And therefore, when you look at it, what does enoughness mean to me? It's having enough financial security to be able to you know, make those choices. You could keep working full time, earning more and more money. But actually, for me, there's there's a point where you say, well, actually, that's enough. Um, you know, what's important, family, health, fulfillment, having a purpose in life is still important to me. So that's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, I, I know it's sort of a cliche in some ways almost, but, you know, people will never look back and say, I wish I worked more. You think about the times and spending time with family, etc. So, but it's interesting how many people um, almost have this sense of I need more, and when I've got the more or the bigger, if I've got a bigger house, better car, if I had those other things, I'll be happy. And I say the minute you put your happiness on something like that, you're probably never going to get it because. Even if you have a yacht, there's always someone with a bigger yacht. <laughs> you know, and when do you stop? When is it enough? And I think that's such a powerful concept of being able to say, for me, this is enough. I, I can do something good with this. I don't need to keep going. And, and that was really important. And I also wanted to talk about identity because that's usually the kicker. But I wonder if you can share a little bit how you think you've worked with identity mm. as you've prepared for this. Yeah, and, and I can't say it was plain sailing all the way through having made that decision and I think there was a bit of a roller coaster through all of this so you know in reality what's the first question that people ask you when they meet you it's usually what do you do well maybe not the first question but one of the the, one of the first questions um and that that's quite a big thing isn't it so for 30 years I've been a tax partner at Grant Thornton it kind of frames your identity in lots of ways um and, and actually quite, you know, relatively, I mean, I wouldn't say a massively high profile, but I've got like, you know, a relatively high profile, certainly in the Northwest. There is a bit of you that thinks, oh, well, that's all sort of disappearing. But actually for me, I guess I, I've never really focused in on that in a way. I don't sort of identify myself in that way. What I did find hard was as I started to pass across my client responsibilities probably more so as I started because because over the years you you know like you have different clients you move on the bit that was really hard for me um if I'm honest is watching and it was a real sort of I was really torn but watching um Hazel it's not you Hazel another Hazel Hazel who has taken over as my as our head of tax um, and is doing a fantastic job by the way um watching her going into the role that I was doing while I was still there. That that was a really weird feeling because there were decisions that I would have been making that I wasn't making anymore. And I, it took me probably a couple of months to get my head in the right space while that was happening. But as I say, I was also in a position where I was her biggest cheerleader because she was in my team and, you know, like all the way through the last four years, I saw that development. So it's it's a really strange one to get your mind around, if that makes sense. So that that was probably the hardest bit for me. But I've kind of looked at, well, what, what am I about? And actually probably my biggest, if you want to use purpose as the word or the why or whatever it might be, is around 
actually sort of helping and supporting people to get to where they want to be. So if I look back over my career, yes, working with clients to achieve what they want to achieve and, and sometimes getting to know them, a lot of the time getting to know them and their families and et cetera, and them as individuals, but also probably where did I get the biggest buzz over the years in terms of what I've done? It's working with people in the team, watching people um, progress and helping them as they've moved through to director, to partner, they've progressed their careers, coaching people, connecting people outside where that's always been a big thing for me if I can connect people if I can give someone a helping hand along the way why wouldn't you do that so and then social Mm. mobility that was the the big thing for me really over the last four years that's another big area for me because I was our sponsor for social mobility on our board and that's something being from a working class family in Glasgow that's something that's really important to me as an individual I got opportunities that have helped me get to where I want to be and I want to be able to put that hand back and help other people um, to you know it shouldn't matter what your background is you should have the same opportunities to be able to progress so so really I've reframed all of that around I guess for me my identity and my purpose is more around um, that whole sort of area of social mobility helping people working with people coaching people than necessarily being a partner in a large accountancy firm. I was fascinated that you did that, particularly because there is a gender difference in terms of how men and women um, work on identity. So men do tend to identify more with what they do and can find this kind of ending really difficult. It's not saying that women don't find these difficult because, yes, of course you do, and you're letting go of things you've treasured and built up over years, including with the relationships. But identity is often more socially constructed. You know, who we are to other people is layered around. And when you can tap back into something that has a longer duration, let's say your purpose, that's not going to end. Your sense of what matters to you in the world isn't going to end. And when you can focus on that bit, then you're back to being growth mindset of, okay, so if I'm still that, that purpose-led person, now what? So it is a bit different, and I think that's, that's always fascinating. And if we're, if you're looking back, is there anything you realised actually just didn't matter? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you may say title doesn't matter, um, reward doesn't matter. In reality, it doesn't, but I think it does at the time. It was important to me as I came through in that it was more – about a sense of that what I was doing was valued. That's how I describe fairness. it. And fairness, being treated mm. appropriately for what I'd done. And, and actually, I don't think I would say it doesn't matter. It does matter. Oh, no, it does. It absolutely <laughs> matters. But it's in the whole scheme of things, it's less important, I suppose, for me now, having done what I've done within the firm. But I guess for me, it was important and it is important mm. for people to have that recognition. Oh, yeah, it's hugely important. But I always think it's interesting when you get to a point of you can recognise its importance, but for it's nuanced, isn't it? So the it, title is about, um, yes, of course, power and position, but, you know, it is recognition, it is fairness. It's the, the visible title of everything you've done. So that's why, you know, when, when, once if firms aren't giving people the titles that are appropriate, it stings because it feels like you can't take your respected place in that system and it's huge. There's also for me a piece around being a role model for other people as well. Um, so, you know, as as a woman, I was the first, I think, I was definitely the first female partner in the Northwest in our firm and probably maybe the second in the North. There was no one else. There were no other 
female partners or not many that I can remember back then that had young children. So when I became a partner, my daughters were five and eight. Um, Yeah. And then obviously I had my son while I was a partner. So I think there is a piece around people seeing, and it's, and obviously it's much more, thankfully the world's moved on enormously since then, but the whole thing about role modeling and all of that as well. and, And people seeing that it's possible to do these things. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's possible to do. But as you say, when, when people can join a firm and look at the top, and see somebody who's like them, whether it's a woman, somebody who's working class, you know, it's all the different elements where we need to be able to look and see ourselves so that you think, oh, I, I could have a place here. This could be really good versus looking at a board that just doesn't reflect you and you think, oh, um, is this going to be really hard? So, yeah, I think that that's the other interesting. I noticed that the work it would have taken to be the first woman and to be the first, you know, even if it, even if it's the second, again, love your tax precision. It's like, <laughs> won't claim things that are not true. Never will. Yeah, never <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, so I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's just being able to look back, and I think it's such a a lovely moment in some ways that once you have reached that point of calm, and I know you days away from your actual last day that um where you can start to look back and think so what have I learned uh, you know what would I pass on what advice would I give to people who are starting out now it's almost what advice would you give to your 29 year old self the version of you that first started at, at GT I guess um what advice would I give myself I, I think be authentic that's really important to me that's always been something that's been really really important to me it's about being your true self and being approachable being someone that people can talk to and come to that's always been really really important to me and that authenticity I think is really important in in any leader because otherwise I think it all just starts to sort of fall apart doesn't it so authenticity hugely important Um, and, and I guess to some extent when I first started in my career probably not so much by the time I'd got to 29, but, you know, as a 23, four-year-old, whatever, having come out of university, didn't really know what accountants did. I don't know. You know, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't have anyone really that I could talk to about any of that. I probably did try and be something a little bit different than I was at first. You know, like, because you think you've got to fit in or you've got to be slightly different. So I think being yourself is really, really important. That would probably be a key piece of advice. And then the second thing, and I did do this actually, but probably with a lot of encouragement. Would I have done it without some of the leaders and partners and things who sponsored me over the years? Is that sort of piece of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and doing things that that stretch you? When something feels scary, uh, and I, I mean scary in a good way rather than scary in a bad yeah. way, if that makes sense. Scary exciting. Yeah, scary exciting. <laughs> That's generally when you're doing something that will, when you look back, you realise has been something that's, that's really sort of made you a better person, a stronger person, a better individual almost. When you look, thinking of this process you've just been through, this making a decision, letting everyone know, was there anything unexpected for you? Um, I mean, if I think about the hardest time, because I, I made the decision probably 18 months ago, but I couldn't tell anyone for a while. Not that sounds like secret squirrel, doesn't it? It wasn't that. It was just there was a lot going on in within our business. 
we were sort of looking at how we launched the next stage of our strategy for the tax business. And I, I couldn't even tell my team. So that was really hard because I'm a very open person. So I really struggled with that, if I'm honest. Once it was like public, it was open and people knew, that was almost like a relief for me almost in a way, if that makes sense, when I got to that stage. Um, there wasn't anything that unexpected. I mean, the bit that I find quite hard well I've sort of had to learn to sort of accept some of this is that I naturally just do things and then people will the the sort of comments that I had back from people the level of those comments the messages I got were quite overwhelming it's points for me because I just don't think of myself that way does that make sense sorry so that was kind of a bit unexpected for me but lovely but yeah it's just a strange one to get your mind around well, but as you say, sometimes you don't know how much you are respected, loved, liked, and then suddenly you get this, you know, flood of people. To sort of, what do you mean you're going? <laughs> or, um, you know, just being able to share their thoughts about you and share what they feel. And it is, yeah, I can imagine. It's pretty overwhelming. Also, hopefully it's testament to all those amazing relationships over nigh on 30 years. Uh, and I think that the good thing is many of those probably won't be lost, that, yeah, they will continue. You, you will maintain a great network. And I think that's the, the bit of when I talk about, you know, is it unexpected? It's quite nice if the unexpected thing is like, oh, I've got some really nice comments. <laughs> wasn't expecting it. Bit of a flood of it. And, I mean, that's the thing now is that, and have you learned anything about yourself through this process? Have I learned things? I don't know. I mean, I guess um, I'm quite emotional as well. I, I'm quite an emotional person. So I found this process of saying, not necessarily goodbye, but au revoir until I see them. I won't see, there's lots of people that I have been used to talking to on a daily, weekly basis that I won't, I'll still see, but I won't have that same level of contact. And I found that, so I've surprised myself sometimes when I've found myself getting quite emotional here and there, a little bit, although I, I do, you know, I am quite an emotional person anyway. But yeah. but that's fine. It's interesting because that's something I, I do experience when I talk to other people who are retiring or ending a full-time role is that it sometimes it's those day-to-day rituals and habits. It's the person you walk past every day to say good morning to because that's your route to go and get a cup of tea. And suddenly we think, well, that's, stopped that's ended there's some very strange things ending that that you don't even know you're going to miss until you don't do it anymore so I'm not surprised emotional they it's a lot it's a lot because you think about the big steps right I'm not going to turn up to work anymore and can't introduce myself as that in the pub okay what can I do but when as you say when you've worked on who are you now what matters to you what do you want to work on that's really important so that kind of makes sense of me asking then so what does the future look like for you now well, to be honest um I don't know <laughs> that sounds I do know a bit how exciting I don't know it, it is exciting I'm not phased by it I'm taking my time what I do know is that I do want to have that sense of things to get out of bed for in the morning and some of that will be sort of non-exec director work. So I, I um, I'm joining the board of a company. I've made a couple of little investments. So 
Um, I'm joining the board of one of those companies, a company called Soren's House, which if anyone wants to have a look, does beautiful, do a little plug here, and it does beautiful. And the other the other business I'm investing in is Cala, um, which is beautiful footwear. So if anyone wants to have a look at those, they can. So there's a bit of sort of activity around that. I'd like to do a few more non-exec type directorships. Charity work, I've been involved with the Prince's Trust now for 10, 11 years on their Northwest Development Committee, so I will stay involved with that. I want to do some mentoring, etc., and, you know, things that will naturally draw my focus will be things around that sort of social mobility, because that's one of my sort of big areas. Or, you know, it could be something with professional services as well, because that's obviously my history and I've learned just so much. So I've got quite a lot of sort of overview and knowledge, that I think. And, and, and you just think there's transferable skills there. So, yeah. With the sound of that, we definitely can't use the word retirement because you are not stopping anytime soon. That sounds like full days. But maybe more flexible days. Much more flexible and probably mm. maybe only two to three days a week. Lots more holiday. That's oh, high on the list. I've always I've mm. always been the person who's focused my holidays every year. So I book at the beginning of the year, get things in the diary. So um, my husband and I are off to Mauritius on our, our next phase, shall we call it. So that'll be lovely. Mm. And we've got quite a lot of things booked in already. So there's an element of that. Also really, really want to join a choir. I've wanted to do that for a while. So that's on my list of things to do. Now that Excellent. I've got more time. And I think just some of the other things like uh, Tony, my husband and I, we do ballroom and Latin dancing. Not that well, but we love it. So again, a bit more flexibility to do something around that as well. So and then the family that I've talked about already, more time with family. So yeah, just a, a and the, the one thing about I love your growth mindset all the way through it's like yeah not great but dancing but we're gonna get better <laughs> we love it so yeah and it's really good for your um your brain as well and, and and I find it a real great de-stressor as well going and having a bit of a dance because you've got well, to think about where where your hands and legs are going to be but if you think, you know, your, your your job for so long has been cognitive, it's you have to do a lot of kind of mental work. It is lovely to just to give into the somatic, to the body, to, to just move and, you know, and then appreciate and enjoy that. So, well, that sounds like a rather lovely way to spend your time. And on that way, this has been a very lovely way to spend our time. And it's so nice to, to see and hear from you. But thank you so much for joining us, Karen. I'm hoping... Anybody who's considering retiring will hear that list and go, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Carrying on the idea of somatic techniques, I thought I'd share how you make an important decision. Now, whenever we get faced with a dilemma, so, you know, a binary choice that we're, we're really struggling with, uh, we know from the research that human beings are terrible at making those kind of decisions. It's not much better than flipping a coin. So the thing to do is to be able to tap in to your body's wisdom. And the way we do that, it distinguishes between our two types of thinking, our conscious mind versus our unconscious mind. Now, I like thinking of this as an elephant with a rider, our big, powerful unconscious with this puny rider on top that, you know, when the two things want the same thing, it's easy. Yeah, the rider can have the illusion of control. But if that elephant sees a snake in the road, it's bolting and you probably can't stop it. So the key is if you can use that powerful unconscious. Research tells us our conscious mind can only handle five to nine bits of concrete information versus our unconscious mind, which can handle 8 million. But 
we get in our own head and get in our own way. We're determined to think it through. And actually what we need to do is feel it. The best technique is to speak fluent elephant, to tap into the unconscious wisdom. And that is somatic decision making. It is a fantastic skill to develop, to be able to tell the conscious to shush while you listen to what the unconscious has to say by the only language it has, your body. So this needs a piece of paper and a pen, and it's going to sound very strange. But on a blank piece of paper, you can learn how to tap into the unconscious processing. Now, this technique is very old wisdom. It's originally a Buddhist technique, but it's been validated by the latest neuroscience. In fact, Daniel Kahneman won a Nobel Prize for his approach to the two thinking systems, which is shown in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow. Now, on your blank piece of paper, draw one horizontal line with the words representing your dilemma on either side. So, for example, you might have stay on the left-hand side and go on the right-hand side. And then you draw a vertical line in the middle of the page to form a cross. And that breaks the dilemma with two new options. The word both, you write at the top, and the word neither at the bottom. And those two are always the same. Only the dilemma changes, either horizontal. Now, shush that mind, ground your feet and tune in. Now, I do know this will look like career Ouija boards. It's not. But place your hands on the word stay and tune in and notice what you feel. Do you feel hot or cold? Tense? Relaxed? Is there a feeling somewhere in your stomach or your chest? Your heart flutter? Just notice it. And now move to go. Tune in. Now, do remember if the answer is a sentence, that's your conscious mind speaking. So tell it to shush. Will you notice how do you feel about go? Now, I've worked with people who very quickly have said, well, I feel excited and scared uh, for these emotions rolling around my body when I you know, look at the word go. Um, and others realise, actually, I'm still in love with my job. I still want to stay. It just feels too scary to go, but you notice the feelings, not the sentences. But for completeness, you move up to the word both, because both suggests, okay, so what could I do that's both stay and go? I know this sounds a bit strange, but figure it out, because for some, there might be the option of a secondment. So you're not working for your organisation, but you haven't given up your contract. So you haven't left, you are still staying, but you're also going for a little while and then you bring back what you learn. It may be that you do the same kind of job but somewhere else. So again, there's some continuity but you say you're neither staying nor going. It's an interesting one. You could say, I just want to do a different job but I want to stay here because I like the company or the organisation. And what you'll find with neither is if you tune into that, you should feel no energy. And that tells you that the right answer is on the page. It's there somewhere. you just got to find it. But if you feel that there might be something in neither, then it's okay, back to the drawing board. Time to think again. What is a different option that I haven't even thought about? Now, you can use this technique for any binary dilemma because you just simply break it by both or neither to become a tetralemma, as in four. 
Now, because often we do know the answer to the problems we're wrestling with. We just don't like it. Or we're worried about what it might mean, or how we'll do it. The first step well, is to know the right choice and take it with confidence. And you can always reach out for help if you need it. Often a big type of the change that Karen's going through is identity, how you feel about yourself. I touched on this in episode five of series one, so you might want to listen to that if you haven't already. But don't forget, there's so much about you that won't change. You will carry everything that is good with you. And what hasn't been good, well, with much love and respect, you'll leave it behind. You don't need to carry it. You can look forward with excitement to figure out who you want to be when you've finished paying for who you had to be. That's a Carl Jung quote, by the way. And identity challenges can be as simple and as hard as how will I introduce myself in the pub? If I'm not the partner or CEO or founder of XYZ Company. In my research on how it feels to sell your business, it came up a surprising amount of times as an issue as part of this identity challenge. So figure out your answer. I've had practice thinking about the day I will say, hi, I'm Hazel, I make a damn fine margarita. So what will your answer be? One of the ideas that Karen came up with, which was enoughness, is also useful to reflect on because we can think of ourselves as, oh, I'm only successful if I have X size of house or X cars or whatever. But when you can say, actually, I have enough, I have what I need, it's okay, then whatever you think was the definition of success, you can let that go and recognize that you have what you need. It's a very personal journey when you decide, I have done enough. Interestingly, my research on selling your business, most people start business for a very logical reason, but they end it for an emotional one. And the most common phrase I heard during that was people saying, enough now. And when you can think in both senses of that word, that I have enough and it is enough. I am enough. I've done enough. I can stop. You don't need anyone's permission. It is your choice. Certainly, if you've uh, had a play with the tetralemma, you might find that's a useful one to do with your family because they can then almost witness what comes out, that this is genuinely the right choice for you. Even if it doesn't make you as much money or you don't have the biggest yacht or whatever it is, it's simply recognizing together it's time. I hope that helps. My thanks to Karen Campbell-Williams for sharing her story. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Endings. And if you'd like to share your thoughts, I'd love to hear them. You can reach me at HazelCS on LinkedIn or Twitter. And if you're exploring endings in your own life, then I have a template for the Tetralemma approach I talked about that you can download. I also have a five-step endings worksheet that's specific for listeners of this podcast. It's based on years of research into endings of all kinds. And I won't ask for your details to get it. If you need it, you can have it. Click on the link in the show notes to download your Tetralemma worksheet now, if you would like a copy. And finally, if you know somebody who might benefit from hearing about retirement or knowing when it's time to move on, then do share this episode with them. I'm Hazel Shaw, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Endings. Oh, 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 oh,